0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Startup Sales. Really excited to have Ryan with us today. Ryan is going to dive in really deep into sales forecasting. It's really his area of expertise and really knows a lot about it. And so we're going to dive into how to forecast your sales. We're also going to talk about a little bit about uh, your core fundamentals of of sales and what that means as far as research goes. We're also going to talk about planning your week and how Slack is bad for growth. So it's going to be a really interesting conversation. I hope you enjoy it. And because it's coming up to wintertime and sales are starting to slow down, you may have some time and want to get your pricing uh, fixed and and right. And you want to learn how to do calls and demos and how to close more clients. So I've put together a boot camp and it's a great program. And you can find out more about it at startupsales.io. That's startupsales.io. Uh, and really get going and use the best uh, use of this uh, slow period of time. I hope you really like today's episode with Ryan. Let's get to it Hey, Ryan, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me on, Adam. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Can you you tell everybody that's listening a little bit of background about who you are?
1: Yeah, sure. So first and foremost, Ryan Lallier. I live in Manhattan. I work for a company called Insight Squared. They are headquartered in Boston, and we sell a software platform for sales and marketing leaders to really help them with their day-to-day, so really surface leveling all the key insights that they need. To manage things like pipeline, demand generation, uh, rep one on one coaching, and perhaps most important, uh, forecasting. I lead the enterprise sales efforts here for the company. So, although I reside in Manhattan, I cover a, a large patch uh, here on the East Coast in the States. How long have you been in sales? Sales, wow. Well, how long have I been in sales? Let's see, since 2000. And it happened accidentally. I was actually going to become a teacher in high school and the summer between graduation and going to get my certificate to teach in the state of Connecticut, I responded to a job ad that I saw in the newspaper that summer. And I thought the sales position that I was applying for was actually for like a cell phone retail store role, but in fact, it was actually for a door-to-door sales role where I would be knocking on doors of small businesses, selling them a dial-up internet service, and uh, Motorola flip phones. So that's how long I've been in sales. I was selling dial up internet service.
0: And now I got to ask, you told me before you're an open book. So I'm going to ask this, are you happy, you happy you came across that job or would you have been better teaching?
1: Uh, That job was definitely the right move. Um, I remember that year making three times more than all my buddies were making out of, out of college. So that was kind of cool when I was the one paying the bar tab. Um, but I ended up working for two true, just old school sales leaders. Um, and what I mean by that is it was all about waking up, shaving, wearing a suit, going in on a Monday, making a ton of cold calls and phone calls and making sure that your Tuesday through Friday was completely booked with, with, with face to face meetings. So it was really a, a, a grind and, 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 and pound roll. but it's really where I learned to just do the key fundamentals of what makes salespeople successful. And that's all about activity.
0: That's interesting. Let's let's dive into that. Sure. Because uh, so many salespeople try to like bury themselves with like uh, silly things that don't uh, don't really accomplish much. Sure. So, what are the essentials
1: for salespeople to prospect, for example, or
0: for salespeople to be successful? But yeah, let's start yeah. with prospecting.
1: Yeah. Well, for a salesperson to be successful, specifically with prospecting or you know, sales as a whole, uh, they have to continue to be a student after they leave uh, the the world of academia. So I believe that really good, good research will always lead to really good conversations, really good discovery calls. And if you do research up front, you will empower yourself to build really good content through email, leave really good voicemails or have that perfect phone script audible ready. If someone does answer the phone, when you, when you cold call them, so research is key. Um, it also builds confidence, right? Going into a phone call not prepared, you're immediately vulnerable. You're not ready. You're going to get questions that you may not be able to answer, and you lose control. So I, I teach and I preach, and I truly believe that research will always drive the right behaviors uh, for salespeople. Um, it'll again help them get 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 meetings, and when they do get those meetings, they're going to be good meetings because they're based on value.
0: I couldn't agree more. One of the things I I test for, test for, ask for, look for in an interview with a salesperson is if they do this kind of thing. And so one of the things I do is I ask them, what can they tell me about the company and what can they tell them about me? Sure. Because if if they're going to research me before the interview, then they're going to research their prospects before selling.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: All right. So... There's a line, though. I've I've seen people that will put too much effort into research. Wait, yeah. where, that? where do you draw that line? How do you know where that line is?
1: Yeah. So analysis paralysis, they, they call it, right? It's the worst. Um, I think that you basically have to narrow it down to three or four things. Just say, look, just focus on three or four things. Go Go, go pull three or four pieces of critical information that are going to allow you to be successful on that call and be unique about it. So can I give you like an example of what I mean by being unique about it? Uh, please. Okay, great. So the other day I was talking to a group of of managers and and leaders and they were asking and me and just talking about good discovery call questions, like good opening questions or just where can I get ideas to generate really good content through email or phone to get a meeting? So there's two pieces there, get the meeting. And then once I have the meeting, what do we talk about? So I said, well, look, you know, Go onto Indeed or a job board, search for a job for the buyer persona that you're trying to sell to. So in this case, we'll pick a CFO. Go read what the key requirements are of that role. There's going to be seven or eight bullet points that that person is going to be responsible for if they get that job. That's going to be pretty commonplace across the ICP for a CFO. So reverse engineer those key requirements and turn them into questions, thought-provoking questions. A key requirement is to accomplish 20% top-line you know top-line growth. Flip that how are you planning on accomplishing, or what is your current plan to achieve 20% top line growth? And then that gives you a chance to plug your product and align with that actual uh, key requirement, which in my view is gonna become a key problem for that person to solve when they get that job. So go to places that typically the other SDRs and AEs are not going to, and try to be unique about it.
0: I like that, because it's uh, everybody's looking on LinkedIn yeah, yeah. and things.
1: I live and in and- LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. but this is, this is a really a different approach because you're, you're talking about like really on the high, even like before, not on the personal level Mm. is finding out who your ICP is, like doing an in-depth research, not just like, okay, yes, we're selling to CFOs. What does it take to be a CFO and how does that tie into the pain points that we're solving? Absolutely. That's terrific. All right. And then, and then what else can you do? What, what's another core fundamental for prospecting?
1: Yeah. um, Show up with a list of assumptions. I think we have been trapped or taught that discovery is an interrogation when it's not. Discovery is you arriving with a list of assumptions, which then gives the impression that you're an expert or a thought leader or a trusted advisor in that respective category. And it's more thought provoking versus how do you do this? How do you do that? It's like, hey, I did some research i looked at your company you just acquired another company looks like growth through acquisition is 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 a strategy going into 2020. so when you start to lay out those assumptions you can then tie that back to well here's how we work with other organizations that are growing through m a activity and are also looking to grow in 2020. Uh, it's much more prescriptive it's um uh, i personally feel that it's just a bit more buttoned up and enterprise level and professional you know versus what the other nine salespeople are going to do and put the, and that's put that person through a 30 minute interrogation of Q and A versus just showing up with the research and the list of assumptions and just validating those as truths or not and getting that conversation going.
0: Now you say validating those as truths. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Cause I w- I was about to say like, I, I don't agree with you on that because yeah. I, I actually think that like you shouldn't assume anything. Like mm-hmm. even if you know it, yeah. You you want them to come with it. So that's why I like how you said validate it. Yeah. Uh, and then so that way, like basically what you're saying is like you come with that assumption and then you say, is this, are you also looking to get a 20% growth or yeah. are you also looking to improve your X, Y, Z? For sure.
1: I, I think what that does too, actually I know Adam, is it, it shows a, a little bit of vulnerability from the salesperson. And when a salesperson shows just a little crack or a wedge of vulnerability that allows your prospect and your buyer to feel a bit more comfortable with you because you come across as genuine, which is mm-hmm. we, we are genuine. You know, I know that salespeople can sometimes get a bad name, but the truth is, you know, we're, we're working and we have a a, a core responsibility within the business to, to bring in revenue. But with that comes a degree of, of, of professionalism. Uh, and you can just showcase that by saying, Hey, I have three assumptions here can you validate that as being true? Am I close? Am I off? What do you say?
0: Yeah. And how does this fit into your model and how does this fit into your business? Absolutely. Okay. So now I've done the prospecting. I've got the conversation. Yeah. Uh, I got, I've got the ball rolling anyways, the momentum. Yeah. What are some of the next, next steps?
1: Uh, the next steps like post discovery. Yeah. Wow. That's a good question. Okay, great. Um, I think what, A lot of our sales reps are not doing these days is just being very forthcoming with with their ask asking for something in return so when i talk about validating things as as true adam you and i just had a fantastic conversation today we've identified three key requirements going into 2020 that, that you cannot afford to miss we both agree that we have reduced the amount of time that it's going to take to achieve those those three kis by leveraging technology such as ours. I'm not saying it's ours specifically. I do realize that you have to do a little bit of, of um, research on, on your side and, and some due, due diligence. But based on this conversation, I think we have some synergy. Do you agree? Yes, I do. Fantastic. What's going to happen next is we're going to go through a sales process. It's a buyer journey. Are you willing to engage in that relationship with me over the next 30 to 45 days? No one is asking that this question. It's a known fact that you are. If you agree to a, ne- a next step, whether you know it or not, you are gonna. We are gonna be hand in hand, and we're going through a buying process together. But just say it. When you say it that way, again, you build trust. That person will soften up. They will be like, "Okay, thank you for letting me know that I'm about to go on a buying journey with you," and then if the person says, yes, I'm willing to do that, you should have what next steps look like. Okay. Well, here's how it typically goes. We're going to POC. We're going to evaluation. I have a questionnaire. I have an intake process. I want to know what your current state is and what your desired state is. And we're going to put together a plan to get you there. That's what the next 30 days is going to look like. Is that something that you want to do? And then the other key piece is who else within your organization, besides Adam and myself, know that we're talking. Is there anyone else on your team, anyone above you that knows that we're having this conversation? If the answer is yes, there are several people who do, you know that that is actually a corporate objective and not just an individual objective for that that person who is just literally doing doing re- research or in exploratory mode.
0: Yeah. I like that because it's a good way to see if they have buy-in with a company without asking like, do you, are you the the buying person do you have the power to do this Mm. because that's such like a like a check the box question yeah i like how you worded that yeah all right and also one of the like what you said is like are you okay with going on this journey with me i really like that it's like i call it permission to reject i heard about it in other places yeah and basically what you're doing is you're taking that that objection away from them. Now they can't object to being on a sales process with you because they just said, yes, I'll be with it on it. It's, it's super strong. Cool. What, what else, what's another good thing? let's say once you, you find out that there's more people there, the the five, six other people in the company, what do you do with that information?
1: Well, if you're an enterprise salesperson, you want to get your, your, your body on site as quickly as possible. I think that is your, your key opening to say, you know what? We had a great conversation. Let's make you look good. How about I come on site and we have a meeting with, with your team. Is that something that you're willing to do? Um, this is old school Sandler stuff, right? Like, um, can I come on site? Yes. If I come on site, will you bring your team? Yes, I will. Can we agree that this is the agenda that we're going to cover? Yes, it is. So all of those things are basically just momentum. Those are momentum steps. Uh, momentum kills deals. You hear this all the time. You know When you don't have a next step that is mutually agreed upon, are you really in a sales engagement? Probably not. You're probably just talking to a, a pen pal at that point at a company <laughs> about a hot topic, which is not fun. So that's really what is next. Um, and I, I we have also fallen into the trap, Adam, that I have to talk to power. I need the executive buyer. I need the ex- executive sponsor. But employees today have so much autonomy and so much power and so much flexibility to make decisions and to buy software and to buy products it's what they were hired to do it is the main reason why exec hire their 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 that next layer of of leadership to make decisions for the business if it is a hard requirement that the person you're selling to has to get approval from a ceo that's fine that's part of their buying process but if our process is, I'm not going to sell anything to you or move forward with you until I talk to your boss, that's not good. We have to trust people. Um, and we, 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 we're starting to swing back towards trusting the, the champion a bit more and empowering that person and, and having confidence that they can get the deal done. Um, but I don't think you have to talk to power as much as, as you used to in the past.
0: Absolutely, you know it's. People also don't want to waste their time. They have stuff that they need to do. They have objectives they need to complete in order to keep their job. So they're not going to come and just speak with salespeople for fun.
1: I agree. <laughs> people are busy. Like no, no one, no one has an hour to spend with me unless they're trying to solve a problem. They think I can help them. Like I, or like, they're the, interns. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. There, there's that too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's take a step back. You've. You've got a enterprise team. How big is your team now?
1: Um, Our team is six people.
0: Okay. And how does the the sales process look today? How's that laid out?
1: The, how's the sales process laid out today? Well, okay. That's an interesting question. So historically in insight squared really focused and has had wild success in the SMB mid market space, or as we would define it, emerging in corporate. About a year ago, a year and a half ago, we embarked on the enterprise journey. So we're actually going upstream. And anyone listening to this right now knows that going from a mid-market S&B company and then going into enterprise is a very difficult thing to do. It's very challenging. And with that difficulty and those challenges come a lot of bumps, scrapes, and bruises. But there's also a lot of key learnings. So I just want to make sure that we're uh, you know, letting your, you know that and the audience know that we're going upstream now as we speak. We brought on a number of key logos, larger companies that historically wouldn't have been Insight Squared um, customers. What's different, though, is that in the emerging space and the corporate space is we're not really displacing technology. We're displacing status quo, Salesforce reports, static Excel spreadsheets, stale data, nothing that you could truly take action on. When you go into the enterprise, the, the tech stack for BI reporting, forecasting, and analytics is it's a fortified wall, if you will. That's how I describe it. I'm going in on, okay, who am I going to have to pull out to insert my product? And sometimes we're going up against a competitor to displace them. In other cases, we might have a really big company where that one department or that one inside sales unit has 300 inside salespeople at like an at t for example, and they have no reporting. Other parts of the business do. So we'll focus on that piece of the business almost like a Trojan horse effect. If you will earn that part of the business, gain credibility there and then land and expand. So it's a whole different mindset. It's a whole different approach. It's a different model. You still have to look at the, the, the business at a macro level, but when it comes to selling, you got to be very precise and you have to go in and say, okay, where is the addressable pain in the business right now? Is it in this department where I can go in and have a three month sales cycle and get, get the logo and get a customer or is it somewhere else? So that's really where the fundamental shift is, and that has changed how we run our discovery calls. Um, it has changed our our sales methodology. You know, we're a force management shop right now. We use a lot of medic stuff, so we're all learning and we're growing together. Um, you know, but with that comes those bumps and those bruises, as I uh, as I mentioned. But but the deal but size, how, is, yeah, sure.
0: How how are you? I mean, you can't just come into a company and say, Hey, let me explore where the opportunity is here. Yeah. So how do you quickly assess that without burning the bridge?
1: Um, Sure. So how do you assess where there's an opportunity to, to sell?
0: Yeah. Within the company.
1: Yeah. Within the company. Um, Well, there's a few avenues, right? You're hoping that, that you have a really good set of channel partners that can walk you in. Right? So whether it's an implementation consultant that is in the business and has said, Hey, you know what? There's an area within Verizon, or any company, that could really leverage the insights that Insight Squared provides, um, unlike the other technology tools that are used throughout the business. This part of the business is very uh, transactional, or they're a bit slow-moving. But either way, they're a really good fit for what Insight Squared offers. I can facilitate an introduction there, and then we can run further diagnosis to see if we're a fit. Um, What we also look at is just key triggers, action items within the business. If we look at M&A activity, for example, and we see another company buy another company, that tells me right away that they're going to be merging a lot of systems together. That's chaotic. So, that's a good entry point for us, because we can not only provide them with a data platform, but we can also offer them thought leadership, domain expertise, um, and a lot of support there to walk them through what that MA was going to look like and how to migrate two CRMs into one and do it successfully without a major disruption in the business. So there's just different entry points that we can take a lot of its creativity. Uh, sometimes it's a, it's a one-off approach depending on, on the situation, but that's kind of how we're, we're doing it today.
0: So if you're looking when companies are, are merging or, or buying one another, typically, uh, Nobody wants to buy at that time because everything's been frozen until the, the things have been settled down. So I, I like that you you find that as a good thing, a good opportunity. How are you managing that though? When when their budgets are being locked down?
1: Yeah, well, there's two pieces, right? We have a large um, install base, so and that, and that that big companies buy by small companies typically, right? So what we're seeing is a lot of our our smaller companies with 250 to 400 employees those are the ones that are actually being acquired by larger companies. So they remain an insight squared customer. They get acquired by a larger customer. That's a great opportunity for us to introduce ourselves to power. The company that you just acquired is having incredible success, leveraging our platform. The reason why you bought them at this incredible valuation is because they have data driven insights that the other companies you looked at don't have. That's why they were such an attractive piece to buy. Do you want to leverage this technology as well? So an objection could be, we already have something like that. And our response is you actually don't, and let's show you how. So that's one entry point um, that we have been relying on um, successfully. The other thing that works really well is people move, they change jobs. And when you are in a leadership position and you are accustomed to relying on three or four pieces of technology to do your job successfully, chances are when you move to another company, you're buying those technologies again. So we've done an amazing job of staying close to our most successful customers and building like real relationships, like friendships, not just we support you. You know, you're our customer. We'll take care of you from a tech support perspective, like real friendships, like people who have actually spoken at events for us. So those are things that can help as well.
0: I mean, that's really important. Uh... Being being there for your clients and not just on a business level, like really like caring that they they succeed as well, and, and doing what you can in your your domain ex- expertise to to help them.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Great. So, are your your enterprise guys? How did you set up the team? Do you have it where it's full cycle, or do you have like an SDR team doing some of the prospecting and then warm transfers?
1: Oof, that's, a, that, that's a loaded question, and and that is a, a huge debate right now, right? Um, I remember when I got into sales, if you were an account executive, you prospected. You got your own meetings, you closed your own deals, you went from cradle to grave with everything. Then Aaron Ross came along and introduced the concept of the SDR, um, which is still a, a, a huge piece to the demand generation engine, um, but I think it has created a um, a system of laziness amongst a lot of sellers today specifically at the enterprise. My job is to close big deals. Yes, it is. Um, But someone has to find those big deals and your commission check, your lifestyle and your income is predicated upon your ability to find new business and close it. And if you have the mindset of depending on others, it makes that job very difficult for yourself. However, we do have SDRs. We have enterprise SDRs. We, we, we tear out the territory tier one, two, and three. I prospect into tier ones. Why? Because I have, senior level expertise. I was once a VP of sales a few times. I know how to talk to my peers. I'll handle that in those tier one must win companies. The tier twos are enterprise SDRs go after. Those are still sizable accounts. We do want to get those, those, those logos, but they're not deemed by the business through our TAM analysis as a must win. So I got the must wins. You get the kind of must wins and we join forces. We have a regular cadence. We meet a weekly one-on-one. We share content with each other through the outreach platform. We build nice cadences. We stick to a process. And we talk a lot. Communication is key. Um, we fell into to the trap early on of only talking on Slack. I now turn Slack off. If you want to talk to me, you have to call me. Especially when you're a younger person starting off in your career, I'm not going to coach, mentor, and train you through, through Slack. It's the power of voice, listening, eye contact, video, the things that really form an alliance between an SDR and an, and an AE that is often neglected, that we need to get back to. So that's sort of like our, our like baseline plan of attack there. Um, we work in conjunction as well with our account managers, which is fantastic. So we have an install base of accounts. Um, we're not compensated for renewals, but I love helping. So if any AM reaches out to me and says, hey, I'm in this account, they have a new CRO, a new VP of sales, they're unfamiliar with the product, I can say, well, you know what? i've been a four-time customer of insight squared i've used it as a sales leader a sales manager and a sales rep so i'm pretty well versed in the insights that we could take from the platform that can make that person's job a lot easier so i'm i'm more than happy to get get, get involved there um, we acquired a company uh, called LONO. so now we have a new product that, that we can actually sell so if i have an opportunity to introduce that that's great so a long answer, I did say it's a, it, it's a loaded question because we have so much going on right now because we just acquired a company, so m and a creates a lot of activity, and we're certainly going through that right now in q four absolutely
0: all right, and so what what are the biggest challenges you guys are facing uh, with having the SDR then because you said it creates laziness like how are you how are you dealing with that challenge?
1: Yeah, um, the biggest challenge with the SDR and it is is not laziness from from, from, from their side. Burnout is is what I'm i mostly can, concerned about. Um, you reduce burnout by the obvious, creating a career path. How do I get promoted? How do I level up? What do I what do I need to do? You reduce burnout by creating a comp plan that drives the right behaviors, meaning you get paid if a deal closes versus you get paid if you just book book a meeting. So they actually learn how to be a salesperson and, and assume the role of an AE at some point. So that's, I'm more worried about burnout there. It's on the AE enterprise level where the laziness comes in. Well, I didn't have any meetings last week because my SDR didn't book them for me. Well, your SDR doesn't have a $1.5 million quota, Ryan. You do. Yeah. So I don't understand how that is the reason why you're not hitting your number. So that's wh- what I mean around the, the, the laziness. And that's why the tier one must-win accounts. They have to be owned by, by the enterprise AE. Um, you can work with, with other business partners like your SDR. Have them do some research for you. Maybe they do... Um, a book campaign where they send books out for, uh, on your your behalf to those people that you really want to sell to. There's things you can do together in tandem. They can still get credit for the deals, but you see a lot of enterprise sellers re- refusing uh, to prospect.
0: and And I like what you said is have uh, like it should be a partnership between SDR and aE. Shouldn't be just like, oh, they're supposed to bring me deals. Like, no, you could go to yeah. them and bring them stuff and, and help them do their job so that it helps you. Yeah. It's, it, it works together.
1: Yeah. Uh, and Adam, you asked me about, about like the handoff and the pass off pro- process. I mean, there's the pass off process internally, but then there's the pass off process externally when we're live on the call. If that SDR booked that meeting with, with Adam, that SDR is going to kick off that call. Like, this is you, you booked this meeting. It's your time to shine. Take a crack at setting the agenda. I, I've coached you on what a good agenda looks like for a discovery call. Just just follow the script. And that also brings us together. And we show up as a unified front. We look like a team, not just someone booking meetings for me, like an actual trusted business partner that I can rely on.
0: Yeah. It, it looks like then you're not like, my whole job is just to book your meeting and then goodbye. Yeah. My job is, is, is we're here to help you. Absolutely. Um, I like that. It's really good. All right. What tools are you using to help you with this process?
1: Oh, like technology. Yeah. Oh my God. So we have everything under the sun. Um, I'm a keep it simple, stupid kind of guy. So I tend to, um, not use everything that we are, are or that we have access to. Um, LinkedIn sales navigator is the most obvious one. I do leverage outreach. Um, but I leverage outreach as the Gmail sidebar. So when it pops, pop, pops out and I have emails coming coming in, I can update my CRM, send out emails. So I try to stay within three different pieces of technology at any given time. Um, my office actually has three and three monitors. So I have in, insights squared up on one, which is tracking like my, my performance, the territory performance, how the team is doing, how the business is doing. I have my inbox, which I'm in all the time. So I'm either making calls out of there or I'm updating stuff there. Um, and then on the, the top screen, I will have uh, our, our, our newest product called the Lona, which is just uh, the ability for me to rapidly update um, all my actions for the day. So I'm updating my pipeline, my opportunities, my calls, everything that I need to get into my CRM. So my boss isn't breathing down my back as to why the forecast isn't up to date or opportunities and next steps aren't there. So I use those three tools. Um, we really do eat our own food here. Um, I'm sorry for the shameless plug, but we do. So. I have <laughs> those two tools: my inbox outreach, um, and then of course Navigator. For data, we have Zoom Info, but our ops team does such a great job of making sure all that stuff is updated uh, automatically for me. So if I go into a Salesforce record, chances are Adam Springer's in there. Your email address is updated. I have your 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 the, the best phone number we can possibly get get for you. Um, we have Engageo within Salesforce if we need it. So we have all kinds of like marketing engagement analytics we can look at. Um, yeah. Communication wise internally, we use Slack. I think we abuse Slack too much. Like we become a Slack culture a little bit, but we're starting to move, move away from that and get back to more like a a being a conversational culture. Um, we're growing in our remote workforce too. So that causes a lot of high usage on the Slack side. So we're trying to do more, more, more video. Um and when we do prospecting calls and we're doing doing meetings around video. If our customer has access to video and they don't mind showing their their face, um we love to see them.
0: Do you uh do you go on video even if they don't show?
1: I do. Um and I, I do for like the first like two or three minutes just so they, they they see me and then I might go dark after that and just keep keep talking. But yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't wanna make them too uncomfortable. Um but it's also the holidays, right? People are are working from home more more than ever. You got kids running around in the background sometimes, so you might not want to be on camera.
0: Yeah. Yes and no. Like I think it's so good to show a personal side that, hey, you're human. Like, yeah, I'm it's the holidays. I'm I'm working my ass off yeah. to to get this done for Absolutely. you. And and my kids here, hey, say hi. Yeah. Yeah, I mean <laughs> if they I, run in.
1: <laughs> I've I've had my my dogs like run across the screen. I have another dog that snores in the background. It's brutal. Like I've gone back and listened to chorus calls. And I can hear my dog snoring in the background. I'm like, oh my god, that means the customer heard this. Um, I'm I'm home today. Do it, doing this uh, this call with you. So,
0: yeah. I, hey, um, my my office is at home, so I, it works well.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. So you said that you you've building out your your remote team as well. Yeah. How how are you managing that as far as Everything like there's so much there to manage having a remote team. How are you managing it?
1: Well, it's hard, right? I mean, we were in inside sales culture for nine years, right? We've been around for almost 10, 10 years now. So our entire life has been an inside sales um, workforce. But, you know, the people that have been with the company for five, six years, they have grown up. They've gotten into relationships. They've gotten married. They wanted to move to different states, right? So they wanted to be somewhere else, but they wanted to also still be within Inside Squared. So you know the first litmus test litmus test, if you will, was to let those people go live wherever they want, as long as they're loyal employees and they can still get their job done, great. That proved to be very fruitful for the business, right? They're a happy employee, highly productive. One would argue that they're probably working more hours at home than, than they do when they're when they're in the office because you're not commuting. But you know how how we manage that. We're not perfect at it. We're getting better at the communication side. I think you have to have a a religious adherence to the cadence. If there's a one-on-one at 10 to 11 o'clock, there's no, hey, can we reschedule? I mean, unless there's something catastrophic happening, the answer is no. We're talking at 10 o'clock, even if it's for 15 minutes. If you have a call at 11 o'clock on the dot and you need 30 extra minutes to prepare, I get it. I I want you to go, go serve the customer. But you and I are talking. I'm not letting the week go by or the two days go by where you and I are not communicating. So you have to talk a lot. If you don't do that, what happens between manager and rep is passive aggressiveness. And when you're not communicating as often as you should, you're not listening to tonality and really talking to that person and getting to know them, you fall behind slack and email. And what you're actually saying and thinking isn't often portrayed accurately in the written word. So yeah. uh, you got to talk. People are not talking anymore. It drives me out of my mind. We talk to customers to pitch them our products, but why are not we talking to each other internally? Why are you slacking me? <laughs> it drives me crazy. Just yeah. call me. I'm right here. You know, I have <laughs> I have my. <laughs> I'm spa. in the
0: office next door. Yeah. Like.
1: It, well, I mean, I remember I had a boss years ago who sat behind me in an office, and he would like ping me on on Skype. And I turn around, I'm like. Uh, are you in the office today? I'm right here. Why are you hitting me up on, why, why is this a secret? You're asking me like how, how my deal's progressing. I could tell you right now. You don't have to Skype me, which is weird. But
0: One of the companies I work with, I, I know they listen to this podcast, so they're probably going to laugh when they hear this is when I fly over to sit with them uh, in their offices. Um, they're all on Slack and they all talk to each other on Slack, even though we're all in one office and I, and I always get the message I'm looking at it, and I look at them
1: and I just start laughing. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird thing. And don't, don't invite me to another Slack channel. Do not do it. I'm not joining another. I mean, I have more hashtag. uh, There's so many, there's like 50 conversations going on at once. It's like, and it's always the same people that are migrating from Slack channel to Slack channel. Or like group to group, it's like just can we just stay in in this one group together? We can cover any topic you want. Yeah, I don't need a topic specific feed. But yeah, I, anyway. I
0: like one of the things that you said though that um, even if there's really not much to say or you have other things that are going on, yeah. you have that set meeting. You keep that set meeting, even if it's just to say yeah. hi and everything's good.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you and, have to. Um, yeah, communication's key. It really is. Uh, I can always when, tell when, when there's a breakdown between myself and a rep, when the phone stops ringing and the communication becomes Slack and email, there's something wrong there. Why aren't you calling me? Yeah. What's going on? So. Yeah.
0: Kind of, I think it's really, really powerful. When, I, when I'm working with clients and running like POCs and stuff like that, I, I have set meetings already aligned throughout the whole POC okay. and I tell them even if there's no update, there's nothing wrong, or there's nothing you want to talk about, we just need to pick up the phone and say, everything's good and then hang up. I said, but I want to hear from you.
1: Yeah, agree. Um, We did that this morning. We were in a meeting with a sales leader and their team yesterday, and they were asking us, how 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 do we leverage this platform to run a a successful team meeting? And what insights can, can we use? So we came in mostly as a silent observer for that one meeting. And we got an email this morning saying, Hey, you know, we didn't really get much out of that, that meeting. I said, but you will because we had a chance to listen in and now we can come back with recommended best practices for you to adjust the cadence of of the meeting. But we got back to that person within a minute and a half of that email come, come coming over. Um, We tried to call them. We got voicemail. We emailed right away. So we missed all those opportunities. If a prospect emails you like, you know, don't, don't, don't play the chase game. Like they're, they're behind their inbox right now. You would email them back right, right, away and say, Hey, I heard you. I'm listening and, and I'm on it.
0: Yeah. I tell people that even if you're not going to respond right away, like with the full, like if it's more complicated, yeah. write them back right away and just say, I'm on this and I'll, and I'll get back to you later today.
1: I love that one. I email, email received uh, Stay tuned. I'm on my way. Yeah. Thank you. And-
0: I I can't tell you how much positive feedback I've gotten from clients that I close deals with just because they say, you know, I, I, you were there. Yeah. I don't, I know that no matter what's going to happen, I'm going to be taken care of and that adds so much trust for the company.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's being customer centric. Yeah. So, Uh,
0: back to what you said before I wanted, I was laughing because you said that, You've had the dogs run behind you and everything. Yeah. I used to go on, I used to take meetings uh, late at night because I'm of my time zone, which would still be like late afternoon for America, yeah. but I would be out on the beach going for a run or something. And so I told him, I'm sorry if you hear me breathing. I'm, I'm on the beach right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. People understand. I, I, people ask me at work all the time. Hey, you know, can I call you at six? Is that too late? No, it, it's not. too. It's six o'clock at night. No, it's not too late. Three in the morning. That's, you know, that's, that's a bit, a bit aggressive. You can call me at six though. It's okay. Um, (laughs) you know, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you know, the state of work right now is, is a 24 hour endeavor, you know, there with, with technology, there is no way to hide. There's, you can get something done whenever you want.
0: Um, there's a good way to hide. You put, you put your phone uh, on silent and you put it outside of your bedroom when you sleep.
1: That's a good idea. (laughs) The, The other day I forgot to put my phone on the charger and it died in the middle of the night. So, but because my body clock is still pretty regular and I know when to get up, but I woke up and I freaked out because I was so used to that jingle on my iPhone going off at a specific time that tells me to get up, but I naturally woke up, but my phone was dead. And of course I freaked out. Like any, you know, ad- addicted iPhone user, my phone's not working. Oh my God, I can't check things. It's actually pretty cool. I had like a nice 20 minute break from the phone.
0: It feels good. I actually uh, try to try to keep it every night. We, we don't bring it into our, our bedroom when we go yeah, to sleep.
1: I need to start doing
0: that. It's, it's nice. Good. Good. So what's something that you're doing differently that allows you to succeed that you feel that most account executives and managers are not doing?
1: It's not. It's, I wouldn't say it's different. I say no a lot and I'm greedy with my time. And if you don't like it, I'm probably not the right person for you. I can't be effective unless I prioritize my time. You want, you want optimal output, then I need to be opt- I need to optimize the time that I put, put, put into it. Uh, and that requires putting on blinders and ignoring the rest of the world. So turn off email, Slack, all other, you know, communic- it can wait. If it can't wait, you know, my, just text me. If you want to get a hold, I tell everyone on my team, everyone at work, CEO down. Just send me a text message. You have my phone number text or call me. Don't chase me down on Slack. I, I'm, I'm this close to uninstalling the Slack app off my phone, by, by the way, but I'm going to see. I, I might do like a, a, a POC in January where I don't have Slack on my phone and report back on what happens. But I mean, that's really, all. I, it's not something that, that I do differently. It's just something that I'm, I'm pretty disciplined about. You, you have to say no. And I'm sorry if somebody gets offended, but you have a job to do and you have to be greedy with your time. Yeah. Uh, then, I also, uh, I, I plan my week on Sundays. A lot of people don't do that. They plan their week on Monday morning. That's, that, that's catastrophic. Sunday night, two hours, yeah. plan your week, Monday through Friday and do it every Sunday. No excuse. Throw, throw football on, watch a show in the background, whatever you need to do, but get that week planned out. Um, it's great to and get What do you start. do
0: when you're planning your week?
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm, blo- I'm the step one, block out the time in my calendar that I need for the week for myself to get my job done. So whether it's a prospecting block, whether it's a one-on-one coach coaching session block, whether it's identifying five new prospects to go after within territory, I am basically picking out time in my calendar where I cannot be disrupted because I know what's going to happen come come Monday morning. 99% of my company is going to come back and they're all going to open up their, their inboxes and their calendars and they're going to have a big task list to do and start taking up my time with things. So if I put the blockers in place where they can't get me at those times, then they can't get me. So I've already, you know, prioritized 50% of my work week towards me and what I need to do. Um, sounds selfish, but the biggest beneficiary of that, of me doing that is the business itself. That's why I do it.
0: Yeah. I love it. I, I was, when I was a uh, independent, I was head of sales for a company and I was, uh, I used to block out so much time in my calendar because they, they would just fill it with, with meetings of 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 uselessness so i would just no meetings no meetings no meetings and i had i still had about like two hours two and a half hours a day of availability time for these meetings yeah but the rest of the time was closed and they hated it
1: yeah well that's the way it goes we yeah there's we have an engineer in our company and i won't name names but he's so good at his job that everybody wants him on those like stage 4 or 5 like clo- closing stage opportunities because it's a slam dunk if he comes comes on the call. He has his calendar so tightly organized. He has his gym schedule in there, when he goes for runs, when he sleeps. It's it's awesome. So it's like you need to be if you want him, you you need to know 2 weeks ahead of time. You have to anticipate that you're going to need him in in 2 weeks from today and get him on that call now. Otherwise, you're doing the demo on your own. And when sales guys demo software, you know how that can go sometimes. So you gotta you gotta be careful when you start <laughs> yeah. talking to technical people.
0: All right, what's a what's a favorite book of yours uh, for for sales management and leadership?
1: Wow, let's see. I got a couple back here actually. Um, for sales management, hmm, I mean, so I like Trillion Dollar Coach. I just started reading that. I'm about three quarters of, of the way through. I think it's just a really good overall like life lesson about empathy, what leadership is about building relationships and, and coaching. So if you don't know anything about, but this book, um, it's great. Let me pull it down here. So Bill Campbell, uh, played football, became a football coach, wasn't the most successful football coach at, uh, but he ended up becoming one of the most, if not the most successful mentors and leaders to some of the most prominent names in Silicon Valley. And, it really just was about the one-on-one always talking empathy and providing like real tactical advice on how stressed out executives can get through some of the most troubling times. And he's basically credited for saving Google, which I think is just an incredible read. So I think if you want to start there, I would start there um, because the most important part of our job as leaders is empathy and coaching. Aside, recruiting is important, getting the right right, right people. I don't care what level you are in terms of seniority. If you're not coaching your people on a regular basis, you're not building relationships. And if you're not building relationships, you're not building trust. So that was a long-winded answer, but I would read that book um, for sure. Um, I love the first 90 days for any sales leader jumping into a sales leadership role for the first time. Um, challenger sale. I like challenger. There's a lot of arguments out there that people, you know, medic and all, all different types of of uh, of sales methodologies, but Challenger's is really good. Um, I don't know. Does that answer your All question? Right. That, that was a lot. Abs- but. Uh,
0: <laughs> I just put a Trillion Dollar Coach on my uh, on my wish list on my phone here, so I I'm going to be adding that to my book list as well.
1: Oh, but do, do you do like hard copy, or do you read off of your phone, or like an electronic reader?
0: I have a Kindle, and I also listen to Audible.
1: Okay. Um, well, I have I have extra copies of of this book. i I'm happy to mail you one. Absolutely. That
0: would be terrific. I don't, it, cool. it, I'll give you the address afterwards. Yeah,
1: no, if you're in Tel Aviv, <laughs> I'll, I'll get it there somehow. <laughs> Thanks. You got it.
0: Great. Uh, Ryan, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing uh, with everybody. How can people reach out to you and, and learn more about you, what you're doing?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I'm on LinkedIn. So Ryan Lallier at LinkedIn is, is easy. You can email in, in me. Um, my email address, so I'm not shy about sharing that. It's Ryan Lallier, R-Y-A-N-L-A-L-L-I-E-R at Gmail. Uh, You can reach me there too. So, um, I love meeting new people love talking sales. I also love learning So if you can teach me something, that'd be awesome
0: Terrific Ryan, thanks so much for joining us
1: today. Thanks a lot for having me. This was really fun. Thanks, Adam
0: Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io.